welcome to another episode of Top Class. My name is Rose and I work in the communications team for the Education and Skills Directorate. As some of our listeners might already know, PISA is an international evaluation that assesses 15-year-olds around the world. Every three years, students are assessed in science, mathematics, and reading, as well as other subjects such as collaborative problem solving and financial literacy. More than half a million 15-year-olds in more than 80 countries and economies participated in the latest PISA cycle in 2018. Five years ago, in 2013, the OECD, along with other organizations, decided to expand the PISA test and make it more accessible to middle and low-income countries. Today, to talk about this initiative called PISA for Development, we are joined by Andreas Schleicher, the director for the OECD's Directorate of Education and Skills. Hi, Andreas. Thanks for joining us. Um, I would like to begin by asking you what was the idea behind PISA for Development. There are middle and low-income countries already participating in Maine PISA. So is the PISA test as it stands today not responding to these countries' needs? Well, as PISA developed and more and more countries began to join the assessment, we (coughs) saw that in some of the middle-income and uh, sometimes low-income countries, there were large numbers of people, of students, not even reaching the lowest level of proficiency that established by PISA. We saw that there actually was a large proportion of students out of school who were not even enrolled in school, and that sometimes our context questions that we use to capture the social and economic and cultural context of students in schools were not actually very well responding to the specific situations of this country. So we thought we could do better. And basically what we did in PISA for Development first made the resolution of the assessment better at the lower end of the performance spectrum to ensure that we adequately capture the entire range of student abilities for every country, including those countries. (coughs) We also uh, developed the context questionnaires, a questionnaire that we give to students, to teachers, to school leaders, to ensure that it captures the specific context in which Students learn, teachers teach, and schools operate. And then we did one thing in addition, and that is developed a special version of the assessment that we could give to students who are, or to young people, 15-year-olds, who are not even in school. Because they're often left out of the radar screen. In school systems, we know exactly who's enrolled, what they learn, what they study, but we know very little about the youth who are not in school. So we wanted to fill that gap and put those people on the playing field to give them, let them participate in this assessment. So those three elements were ones that we developed to better accommodate the needs of uh, low and middle income countries. And there's another dimension to this. What we also saw is that it's one thing to collect all these PISA data. It's quite another to actually learn the right lessons from them, to analyze the data and to interpret them and to feed them back to help students learn better, teachers teach better, and school systems to become more effective. So actually, we developed a special program for these countries where they could bring their analysts together, actually in the OECD, to learn from and with each other on how to actually make best use out of the the PISA data. And interestingly, all of those developments uh, are now benefiting a much larger group of countries. As PISA for development has gone into the field. Other countries have watched that space and thought it was really relevant and interesting for them. So actually the investment that those initial group of countries has made are now bearing food for PISA as a whole. So if I understand correctly, the first round of testing will be the students who are already in school who have 
continued their education for the past, well, 10 years. Um, and then the next round will be the out-of-school children who perhaps have gaps or have they never gone to school? What we know is at the age of, at the age of 15, when we do the assessment, they are no longer in school. Mm -hmm. They may have taken part in some years of primary schooling. They may have never had an opportunity to attend school. There may be differences mm -hmm. in pictures, and we will actually know that. We will understand that. But most importantly, we will know what, they're able, what they know and what they're able to do at the age of 15 so that actually governments, ministries of education mm -hmm. get a better picture yeah. of young people in their country rather than just those who, who are enrolled at school. Mm -hmm. And what I find very interesting about this initiative is uh, the contextual questionnaires. I was wondering if you could explain uh, what will be included or what is included in these contextual questionnaires compared with main PISA. Yeah, when we administer the PISA assessment, we collect a lot of data about students, from students, about the learning environment, about the organization of schools, so that we A, can appropriately interpret the results. You know? the, a school working in deprived conditions may have different results than a school working in a wealthy neighborhood, so we need to understand that context, that neighborhood effect. And um, what we saw is that sometimes when we talk about the economic resources of students and schools, that they're kind of differentiators in those countries, maybe very different from OECD countries. Mm -hmm. And so we basically developed questions that were more specifically capturing those elements that we thought and the countries thought would best represent the social economic and cultural context of students and also the learning environment. Mm. <clears throat> and what will countries gain or learn from participating in PISA for Development? What, uh, what policies will be affected by this assessment? Well, first of all, they will get a sense of where the students stand as compared to students in other countries. But uh, <clears throat> They will also get a good understanding of what the drivers of mm. student learning outcomes are. Why do some schools achieve better results than others? Uh, how does uh, the social background affect learning opportunities for students and the working conditions for teachers? I think they get a good analysis of the learning outcomes in their country. Importantly, they're also going to be connected to a global network of experts. Mm. Uh, often education is a field that we often consider as a field of domestic policy. We develop sort of national ideas, how to pursue this. And uh, what PISA for Development gives the countries is to basically the eyes and ears to look outwards, mm. to see how other countries have been addressing similar problems, to work with experts and policymakers from different parts of the world to better understand how they can design mm. and implement more effective policies. All right, thanks. Um, I have one more question for you. Um, will PISA for development continue as it is, or will it be absorbed by main PISA? What is the future for this uh, project? Well, interestingly, the in instruments that we developed uh, for PISA for development were so successful that many other countries want to adopt them as well. So they will actually become part, an integral part of PISA. Similarly, the approach that we developed to especially support those countries in the analysis and interpretation of the results is now also one that we will offer to <coughs> other countries taking part in PISA. So what I can say is that PISA for development will become permanent, mm. a permanent institution in PISA on demand. It's up to countries to decide what will help them best. Mm -hmm. uh, for some countries, 
even high-income countries may have a significant share of students which fall through the cracks, and they can draw on those kinds of instruments to get better support with the analysis of the results. Also, that is something that from now on, so PISA for development is now an integral part of the PISA process and will benefit a much wider range of countries beyond the ones who actually piloted it. Thank you, Andreas. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for hosting me. I was able to catch up with Jaime Saavedra by phone, who is the Senior Director for Education at the World Bank. He also served as the Peruvian Minister of Education from 2013 to 2016. Thank you, Mr. Saavedra, for speaking with me today. Thanks for having me. Um, the World Bank has been a generous supporter of PISA for Development from the start. Why do you think it is important to support countries who are participating in the assessment? Well, th thanks for the question. Look, uh, PISA for Development represents a turning point for low- and middle-income countries' participation in international benchmarking exercises. Uh, what we have seen is that some developing countries have been reluctant to participate in these learning assessments, either because of the perceived unsuitability of the questions uh, or the instrument as a whole for their students, or because of a lack of institutional capacity to carry out these assessments in an appropriate way. And sometimes there has been a lack of awareness about the importance of knowing where you are in terms of educational outcomes in order to improve the quality of your system. We believe in that sense that PISA for Development as a complement to the PISA initiative is helping to address these challenges in two main ways, I would say. So first, PISA for Development was specifically designed with the needs of developing countries in mind. The instruments use questions from the PISA item pool that are more relevant for students in developing countries. Second, the uh, background questionnaire used in the assessment has been redesigned to include questions suited to the economic and social conditions of these countries. And also an out-of-school survey component has been added so that countries can measure the competencies of 15-year-olds who are no longer enrolled in school. So all, all these innovations have been done in a way that still let countries place the results in the official PISA scale. This means that the policy value of the information of the exercise could be huge. And second, I would say that PISA for development was designed having in mind the need to continue improving the technical capacity requirements of low and middle income countries. This involved supporting these countries in carrying uh, out upfront capacity needs assessment to determine the kinds of assistance and other support they needed. Um, I, I, I want to mention that the instrument used for the capacity needs assessment was based in a diagnostic tool developed by the World Bank called SABER student assessment. And, and the results were used to develop a capacity building plan for each country. Uh, and as a result, all countries that joined uh, PISA for Development have successfully completed not only the needs um, assessment exercise, but they're improving uh, their capacity to, to, uh, to assess learning in a substantial way in their, in their countries. As Mr. Saavedra is a former Minister for Education in Peru, he was able to give us some insight into how PISA has helped shape policy in his country. Just uh, three weeks after becoming a Minister of Education in Peru by the end of 2013, we received the results from the 2012 round of PISA. Peru was ranked last, not next to last, not bottom 10%, it was last. 
In Spanish would be ultimo, that's the word, and that sounds even more resonant. And for the press, the fact that PISA was only administered to a subset of countries, about 66 countries, was not important. That was just a footnote. Education, which never met, made uh, headlines, was on the front pages and in big font saying that Peruvian students were last in the world. For the press, we were the worst in the world. And I could have tried to explain that the, uh, this set of countries didn't include all countries in the world, that some countries which would have done worse were not participating, it stressed the fact that other countries had a great proportion of out-of-school children that were not being tested, etc. Or I could have also accused the PISA initiative of being a rich country endeavor with little relevance to the Peruvian national priorities or our culture that did not even measure all the competencies that are relevant for our children. Or I could have emphasized that the position in the ranking was hiding that Peru was actually making progress in learning standards, although obviously not enough to catch up given the low basis it was starting. But instead, the government focused on recognizing that PISA showed that we had a huge challenge in terms of learning. We were not in trouble, but we were in deep trouble. Despite past progress, the country had not invested enough, and, and we had to say that the efficiency of educational expenditures had to improve, and that we all had to work together to fix it. And as a result, the country embarked on a reform that built on the progress of the previous administrations, but that looked to accelerate improvements in learning. Uh, education became a topic that everyone, from taxi drivers to politicians across all parties, would talk about. Would talk about. And it opened the space to make changes because we all agreed that something had to be done. The assessment and the understanding that the country was far from where it should be created a social and political consensus in Peru to increase the spending on education and implement major reforms that otherwise would have been very, uh, very difficult. Thank you. That, that brings me actually to my next question. Um, why do you think it is important for low and middle income countries to participate in international assessments in general? Um, look, if uh, Rose, if, if you were flying an airplane, you would want to know that you are in fact flying, how well are you flying, and where are you flying, right? Where are you flying to? <laughs> the same goes when running an education system. You cannot fly blind, and you need to know that you are making progress or not, and the characteristics of that progress. And education systems are very complex. You must deliver a human interaction intensive service day after day. For instance, in a, in a middle-sized country like my own, like Peru, which is the size of a relatively small state in India, you're talking about a machinery that delivers a service to 8 million students spread across the whole country, a service that has to be provided by about half a million teachers in more than 50,000 schools and involving millions of parents, all with their own expectations and, and, and needs. And the service to be provided is a very difficult service. The job is to make these students learn and also to make learning an enjoyable experience, knowing in addition that every child is different and you need to make sure that each and every one learns. And this is a very tough job. Sometimes when my friends who don't work in the field of education ask me about it, I tell them, look, if you cannot handle your two kids, try to handle a classroom of 30, right, or even an entire school. <laughs> to, to handle then a complex system such as education, we need information. Countries need mm -hmm. to know where to stand. 
what are their weaknesses and their strengths. The schools also need to know where they stand, and principals and teachers need to know exactly where each student stands in terms of learning. So the critical part here is not whether a country participates in a particular international test or another. What is critical is that countries develop the capacity to rigorously measure learning so that they can build a plan to improve and to benchmark progress over time at the level of the system as a whole and at the level of the schools. Countries need to develop that culture of assessing where they are. So participating in international assessments and being part of systems of international comparisons is critical in order to benchmark where the whole education is. And it's important, and as important as that, is that the national capacity to assess learning at the local level and ideally at the school level is developed. On one hand, this allows country to plan better but it also allows systems to internalize that the focus of the job of everyone, of the school administrator, the principal, the teacher, is that every child has to learn. And, and let me tell you just one more thing. This is even more important in low and middle income countries where learning gaps are still huge. Remember that we're talking that in the developing world, we are in a, we're in a learning crisis. In many of these settings, we're still worried if the teacher is present or if the basic inputs are being delivered. So the lower the levels of learning, the more important is to see in which way any increased investment is having an impact of learning. So that is why we need a big push to increase the number of countries that do learning assessments. Currently, with the figures that we have today, roughly one third of the countries in the developing world have quality systems to assess learning. Another third, I would say, has medium quality learning assessment systems, and the remainder third has almost no data, uh, almost or no data at all. So these countries are flying blind. Their situation needs to change as no country can afford to crash their education system. So how do you see the World Bank's role moving forward as uh, PISA for Development supports new low and middle income countries joining future cycles of main PISA? So look, the, the World Bank's role moving forward um, will be an integral part of the work that we're carrying out under our human capital project. Um, in October of this year, in the uh, annual uh, meetings of the IMF and the World Bank in Bali, in Indonesia, we launched a human capital index, which shows how countries around the world are doing in realizing the potential of the human capital present in their systems. The index wants to indicate how effectively are countries investing in their people. And this index, which comprises indicators of health and education, has as one of the components of the, of, 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 of the, uh, of the index as a whole, country-level data, first on years of schooling. But we want to adjust those years of schooling by how much it is learned in each one of those years for which we need data on learning as a proxy of the quality of each one of those schooling years. That's the type of learning, that type of learning data is the one that we get from PISA assessments. Now, while compiling the index, we found that some countries had lots of data, as I was saying, on their student learning outcomes, while others had little to none, particularly the poor countries. So moving forward, we intend to support developing countries in their efforts to improve the quality of the data they collect on learning outcomes. 
One element of this will involve supporting countries that wish to participate in international assessments like Peace for Development. And we, we also will be encouraging countries to make more effective use of the data that they already get from assessments to design better policies and practice, practices for improved learning. Uh, in addition, we'll work with countries to ensure they have the right budgets and policies in place to support measurement and use of that data to improve learning outcomes. We're excited about this agenda and look forward to actively working with the OECD and others to ensure that countries get the best value they can from international assessments. Okay. Uh, thank you, Mr. Saavedra. It's been very interesting. Thanks for joining us and, and speaking with me today and taking the time. So thank you yeah, very much for having us and, and I look forward to further interactions. All right, thank you again. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you found this episode informative, don't forget to subscribe and share. You can also follow our most current topics on our OECD Education Twitter account, which can be found at OECD EduSkills. Until next time.